We are coming with dirty old jackets covered in soot, with torn hats and dirty hair, mostly pale, hungry, and barefoot, sometimes pale, sometimes resigned, a clear sign of hunger and that silent misery, sometimes with uncontrollable anger, eager for revenge, looking old before our time from the awful pain with the desire for light and fresh air on our faces, with the hope of one day living like human beings, and with the deep wounds in our broken hearts, we are coming. Yes, we are coming. From the forgotten darkness of torture and pain, poverty, persecution, slavery, to destroy your tyranny, to break the chains of slavery, to forge a new road for ones like us who deserve equality. This is how we are coming. Now, when I hear a poem like that, let me tell you. I mean, first of all, number one, I mean, this is a really good translation in English. It's a good, really great rendering of the Armenian. That's number one. Number two, it is on par with the great revolutionary poetry that we see from, uh, you know, not only Chaudens, like in the Armenian context, but also Vladimir Mayakovsky. Or if we look at um, Alexander Bloch, his poem, The Twelve, if you know this poem, right, that this is, this is on the level of that. I mean, this is uh, really, really good revolutionary poetry. And that is why Shushani Kurganian should be remembered. Hi, I'm Pietro Shakarian, and today we are going to talk about Shushani Kurganian and her great contribution to Armenian society and Armenian history and Armenian literature and culture as part of our series, Seven Making History for EVN Report on Seven Outstanding Figures in the Soviet Armenian History. Our main figure for today, as I said, is Shushani Kurginian. Who is Shushani Kurginian? To answer this question, first of all, we have to understand who she is. She was, like I said, great poet, revolutionary writer, major, major, major figure in, in Armenian history, and really a commanding presence. She was somebody who really kind of hypnotized, if we can use that word, uh, Avatik Isahakian in in. Whenever he was in her presence, he was in awe of her as a person. She was a remarkable person. And her story begins in the city of Alexandropole. If you know what Alexandropole is, it is today our wonderful city of Gyumri in uh, Shirak Mars in Armenia. She was born in 1876 in Alexandropole, Gyumri. She was the daughter of a poor uh, you know, merchant family, poor cobbler family, uh, you know, her childhood was not easy, you know, growing up in these difficult socioeconomic circumstances. It was different from somebody like Nersik Stepanian, who came from more of a bourgeois uh, family, so much more middle class. She came from a much more lower class family. But because of that, it put her in close contact with the struggles uh, and the grievances of the working class. So uh, she was able to kind of witness this uh, firsthand. From her time growing up, she always had this rebellious spirit in her, and it was seen very much in her work and, and you know, her approach to writing, so to speak. Um, and she attended the local gymnasium there in Gyumri. She attended the girls' school. She was 
deeply enamored by education. She was deeply committed to writing. She her talent as a writer came out really young uh, when she was uh, when she was really quite young as a teenager. Really, her sense of activism came out when she was fairly young too. So, if we go back to uh, what was happening in Armenian circles, I should say, say in Armenian communities in the end of the nineteenth century, you had the rise of political parties. So you had the rise of the. Uh, Hunchaks, you had the rise of the Dajnaks, and already in 1893, she joined the Hunchak party. She gravitated toward this party at the age of 17. And so this was uh, really uh, just actually a few years after the party had been founded in Geneva, Switzerland, by Armenian students in 1887. But she uh, really kind of embraced this party. Now, to give you a sense of these parties, these Armenian political parties, uh, the Hunchaks, the Dajanaks, and so on and so forth, they came within a context of Imperial Russia in the 19th century, which means that, you know, advocating for liberty, justice, equality, they framed this in socialistic terms. So they were part of a broader Russian revolutionary movement. These Armenian political parties were part of this kind of revolutionary culture that had been emerging in Russia. And you also had uh, really kind of a fusion of the the standard kind of Russian socialist revolutionary culture with the demands and specific needs of uh, Armenian culture, Armenian nationalism. And that's actually what the Hunchaks or the Dajanaks represented. They kind of were a fusion, so to speak, of these, uh, you know, kind of ideas that were socialistic and uh, national. So Alexandropol, Gyumri, uh, has very deep ties with Western Armenia, even down to the dialect of the people living there. Uh, if we look at, uh, you know, also many people who moved, uh, so in addition to the native population, which already speaks kind of a variation of kind of Erzurum dialect of Armenian or Shiraksi dialect, um, really, uh, you had also a lot of Armenians who were refugees coming from Western Armenia to, uh, you know, Alexandrople. So there had always been a deep connection there. And the, the Hunchak's main aim was actually to not only advocate for Armenian rights in the context of Russian Empire, but also advocate really for uh, liberation of Western Armenia, because this was a major issue at the time. I mean, what is going on in late 19th century? So just, you know, what did I mention earlier? I mentioned about when was she born? When was Shushani Kurginian born? Yeah, Russian-Turkish war about a year before. 1876. So she was born. Uh, so she's born 1876. The war commences in 1877. It resolves with the Treaty of San Stefano in 1878. You also have the Congress of Berlin. Now you remember our good friend, uh, you know, Catholicos Heirik, Der Heirik. You know, he he went there to the Congress, and what what did he? find at the Congress. What was his, yes, the iron ladles. But one of the, you know, uh, this idea that, that Kairi came away from was that we have to, you know, to some extent, uh, in order to realize our aspirations as a nation, as a people, we have to rely on ourselves. We can't just rely on the great powers, you know, to deliver for us. Because, of course, this was, this was the great disappointment that the original text of the San Stefano Treaty 
promised autonomy for Armenians that would be safeguarded by Russian troops. Of course, the British didn't like this because they didn't like the Russians having too much influence. So that did not end very well for Armenia. There was a general kind of uh, obligation, let's say, for the Ottomans to guarantee uh, rights for Armenians. But then we saw how that turned out in the 1890s for the Armenians. Not very well. So because you grow up, you're inculcated with all this. I mean, this is a very, very deeply uh, political moment for both Armenia specifically and for the Armenian people, but also for the Russian Empire. So the Russian Empire is really, really, I mean, this is, this is a uh, period of immense change. Let's put it that way. Um, it's immense change whether or not the Russian authorities like it or not. What do I mean by that? Because the Russian authorities, uh, actually, you know, Shushanik uh, was already a young girl when she was, uh, when this had happened. But in 1881, what happened in the Russian Empire? The Tsar Liberator, Alexander II, a great reformer of the Russian Empire, was assassinated by the group Narodnaya Volya. So this Russian revolutionary movements have been, you know, developing throughout the course of the 19th century. And uh, there was real prospect that actually there could be political change in Russia. There was even an Armenian reformer in Alexander's court, Mikhail Loris Melikov, the Count Mikhail Loris Melikov. Now, this might be getting too much deep into the history, but it's an important aspect to know. The Tsar was actually in the process of turning Russia into potentially a parliamentary democracy. He was on his way to do that uh, when his carriage was bombed, uh, and unfortunately he was assassinated. But in the aftermath of that assassination, the uh, revolutionaries, uh, you know, immediately were targeted by the new authorities that emerged, the Tsar Alexander III, and a much more conservative regime emerged in the Russian Empire at the time. And under Alexander III, for Armenians, he was not very good because he pursued a policy of Russification, where they attempted, for, for example, to kind of Russify Armenian churches and so on and so forth, to kind of assimilate the Armenian church, let's say, within the Russian church, to kind of curtail Armenian nationalist revolutionary activities. And so you have that. You also have, again, the lingering impact of the Russo-Turkish War. You have of the events going on in the Ottoman Empire in the 1890s. We see, especially at the latter half of the 1890s, not the time that Shushanik joins the Hunchaks, but much later, uh, we talk about Hamidian massacres. So this is a period of immense change, uh, you know, for the Russian Empire. It's also a period where you have, uh, you know, increased industrialization, Peasants are going into factories. They're becoming workers. So, and this happens also not only in the case of, you know, let's say Moscow or, you know, Petersburg, but also in the case even in, in the Caucasus, where you have Armenians who are peasants, who may be from Zangazor or Tavush or Artsakh, and then they take up jobs as oil workers in Baku. This is also a period where there's greater consciousness of a greater connection between the rise of socialist ideas and the conditions of workers also combined with the conditions of the peasants, who even though they were liberated from their serfdom in 1861 by the Tsar, this is interesting because this was two years that before Lincoln freed the slaves in America. And here's an interesting fact. Alexander II, the Tsar liberator, was actually friends with Lincoln. They actually co corresponded with each other. This is another kind of interesting side note. But anyway, the peasants were dissatisfied. They demanded land. You had the workers demanding rights. You had nationalities like the Armenians demanding increased uh, you know, national expression, national autonomy. Not only the Armenians, of course, the Finns, uh, to name another nationality, Georgians, 
uh, Ukrainians, and so on and so forth. So this is an immense period of change for the Russian Empire. The arts are beginning to shift. Um, this is a period where, especially beginning when we get into the early 20th century, you begin to see the rise of kind of, you know, symbolist poetry, the rise of kind of avant-garde art, even before uh, the famous Snep period in the Soviet Union, you have kind of a precursor of this. That's the setting. And so we have these parties, Hunchaks, Dajnaks, and they are socialist at the same time. They are also Armenian nationalist parties, right? So you can even see it in the name, for example, of the ARF. Um, or actually, uh, yeah, in the ARF, you have the Armenian Revolutionary Movement, right? They could have gone with Armenian National Movement. It wouldn't have been as sexy, and it would not have been as, as attractive, uh, and, and so it would have kind of fallen flat. Same thing you have Hunchaks. It's the Armenian Social Democrat uh, Hunchakian Party. So this is the idea that it is both Armenian, it's national, but it's also socialistic and democratic. And, and, and that's actually the interesting thing. I had a student once ask me, you know, you know, well, why can't, uh, so why democracy? Why can't Armenia have nationalism? And I'm like, well, you know, really, you can have both. You know, if you look at Rafi, if you look at, you know, Shushani Kurgenian, if you look at these writers, they advocated kind of fusing these ideas together, right? So you have, that's the context of, uh, you know, where she is coming from. Yes, she just joined uh, the Hunchaks, and actually this is, also you have to think about Alexandropol, what it is like. I mean, so she comes from kind of a, a poorer merchant family, but it is a city where you have kind of a conservative merchant Armenian class, um, and she's trying to kind of advance kind of revolutionary ideas kind of in this context. She's also talking about women's issues. Right, but women's issues in part and part of kind of the socialistic movement, specifically the idea that uh, you know why can't women and men be equal in this kind of you know struggle for freedom, in this struggle for a better society, more egalitarian society, that sort of a thing. But this is again part and parcel of uh, really kind of an extension of what we see with the Russian socialist movement. Some of the uh, most fervent revolutionaries uh, in the Russian revolutionary movement were women. Right. So there was the case of Vera Zazulich, if you know who that is. She, uh, you know, shot the governor of St. Petersburg. So, so, so women, though, I mean, my point is women were playing, were at the forefront, really, of this revolutionary movement. Sometimes it's not as acknowledged as it should be. You know, some people, like, there, there was a, a, a narrative that existed uh, in Soviet times that, you know, you know, this idea of just focusing on women's issues, this is a bourgeois idea or whatever. But the reality is that the struggle for egalitarianism and, and, and the struggle for women's rights was part and parcel of this radical uh, revolutionary movement in the Russian Empire. That included, of course, in the in the Armenian context, Shushani Kurgenian expressing this in in the context of Armenian women. So this was kind of uh, you know her uh, situation, in other words. In 1895, so she was in the Russian, she was in the the girls' school, the Armenian girls' school. And so in 1895, Shushani actually, um, to give you a sense. This is only two years after she joins Hunchaks. She then joins officially the, the Russian gymnasium in Alexandropol. This is actually kind of quite interesting because the Armenians, you have to think, were among the most loyal subjects for the Russians and kind of helping uh, Russia in terms of its uh, establishing its authority in the Caucasus. She was unable to pursue uh, her higher education because the individual who pledged to assist her in that endeavor was exiled. 
Okay, so well, that that kind of dashed, uh, you know, the situation right there. But over time, she, you know, got involved with, uh, you know, she actually deepened her involvement subsequently with, uh, you know, the revolutionary movement. So actually, how do we get the name Kurginian? So her, her so basically, she's Shushanik, but she's actually uh, Popaliance. This is this is her, really her real name, right? But then she marries Arshak Kurginian who was kind of a revolutionary guy, and basically uh, she kind of fell in with him. Uh, you know, actually he was really kind of an underground, uh, you know, he was, he was a tradesman, but he was also an underground revolutionary activist. And she marries him. She also deepens her involvement with uh, revolutionary ideas. They have three children together. Uh, so Shavarsh, Anush, and Arsham. I believe it. Yes. So these these are the three children. So from there they kind of move. Uh, from from there she deepens her involvement, like I said, in the Russian Revolutionary Movement. Really, I think a critical moment for her was. Um, so so she was actually on her way. I should mention this that she was moving to Moscow. One of her children fell ill, so they moved to her, her and her family moved to Rostov and Don. Right, Rostov on Don. This is again. We we talked about this city earlier in this podcast, but this was an important move because she happened to be in the city at the time the Russian Revolution of 1905 erupted. So, first of all, number one, we don't have uh, you know our good friend Alexander the Third anymore as czar. We have a new czar by this period of time in 1905. Another problem that Russia had amid uh, you know actually kind of a, as a prelude really to this 1905 revolution really was actually really kind of a starting point you could you could say was what happened in January 1905 on January 22nd 1905 as a matter of fact where you had uh, Father Gapon who led a procession of workers to see the Tsar and the Tsar's guard shot into the crowd and you know many people died and this was called Bloody Sunday 1905. And this really kind of, you know, stoked the fires for revolutionary uh, change in the Russian Empire. You had, in the context of the Caucasus, immense violence break out between Armenians and Tatars, or as we today would call Azerbaijanis, and uh, especially over the areas that you know, would become most disputed during the period of the Russian Civil War. So we're talking about, you know, Artsakh, Nakhichevan, Sunik. These would be the areas that you would see the, the, the greatest degree of violence. Also, of course, Baku, where there is kind of, you know, rising tension between, let's say, Tatar peasants versus the Armenian bourgeoisie and so on and so forth. So you have these, uh, you have this kind of outbreak of violence that, uh, you know, really kind of uh, encompasses, uh, consumes the Caucasus. But actually, Shushani Kurginian was not writing about that. So yes, she's Armenian, she's concerned about Armenian issues, but really, being in Rostov-on-Don at the time of, uh, you know, the 1905 revolution, she was actually much more interested in the fate of the workers. So I started off this podcast reciting her poem. Uh, you know, actually, it was the translation by Victoria Rowe, there are different translations of it, you know, and I actually started with a line that was a slightly different translation of that poem. But um, still, uh, that again, you know, 
speaks to her concern for the working class. So again, yes, she was interested in Armenian issues. She was interested in women's issues. But we should also not forget again that she uh, had immense, immense sympathies for the working class, for the working people, and for improving their lot. Right? This was somebody, like I said, she grew up from an poor merchant family. She understood the struggles of the working class, and she lived among the working class in Rostov-on-Don, and especially in the context of 1905, she was um, really kind of communicating her sentiments to them. It was in 1907, actually, so she follows this uh, in 1905. You know, this is really kind of a, a great moment for Shushani Kurgenian in terms of her personal uh, awakening, but it is actually 1907 where she actually publishes her first volumes of poetry in Nor Nakichevan. Now, who did I say was born in Nor Nakichevan? Now, first of all, where is Nor Nakichevan? Is it on the Araks River? It is where? Oh, it is in Russia. Rostov-on-Don. Samyasnikan was born uh, here. And this is actually interesting. So we remember Yerkunk, the film I was talking about last time, Yerkunk, which is awakening or delivery. This is another term. So it's actually interesting. Also, uh, you have, uh, well, in the Russian translation, there's Rozhdenya. But this film was Frunz Dovlatian's film about Miasnikan, And actually, Shushani Kurgenian is in it. It's about a, a, the later interaction between Kurgenian and Miasnikan, But really, this is the first time they really interact. In 1907, actually, he's the one who encourages her and helps her publish her first volume of poetry. So Miasnikan is already in the picture in 1907. So this is much earlier than already in the 20s, in the Nef period, the period I was talking about earlier, where Miasnikan really is playing an active role in bringing Armenians to Armenia to help rebuild the republic. Right? So again, like I was saying last time, it's almost like uh, analogous to kind of the, the state of Israel after World War II, kind of, um, you know, in terms of Armenia during NEP, in terms of Armenia in 1920, uh, rebuilding the country and rebuilding the nation from the ashes of genocide, you know, in other words. Um, so, you know, Shushanik, she was uh, an incredible, an incredible writer, an incredible social advocate in addition to writer. And she was very much involved in the scene of kind of uh, Russian-Armenian writers. But she also had, you know, uh, health issues. What's interesting about this, but I really don't know the nature of those issues. So every place I read about Shushani Kurgidion, I always read that she had health issues. Maybe it's, you know, tuberculosis. I don't know, which was very common. So if we look at like, uh, you know, Vahan Teryan, he died of tuberculosis. This was very common in those days, right? And um, so, but she had health problems, and she went to different sanatoriums, and it, uh, no matter what she tried, it seemed like it could not help her situation. But she had, you know, these kind of underlying health issues. What is remarkable to me in my research is what happens to the the Armenians in 1915 in, in Ottoman Armenia, the in Western Armenia. This has uh, on Armenians everywhere, even those who, whose families are not directly affected by the genocide. They feel a great pain. This, this impacts them always deeply when they hear about what's happening. This, this kind of mass, very kind of systematic mass or organized killing of, of Armenians. Um, and I think that uh, in the case of Shushanik, it impacted her greatly, but also specifically the influx of the refugees. So Armenians are flooding into Armenia 
you know, the, she's very much aware of, of this uh, of this situation, the, the misery of the Armenian refugees coming in. I mean, this is a period of time when we talk about the First Republic. So the First Republic, on one hand, yes, it's the great moment where, uh, you know, Armenia has, it's its first kind of moment of, of national independence since uh, really the Middle Ages. So, so this is a great moment for Armenia in one respect. On, on another level, it is really one of the most tragic and difficult times for the Armenian people. And um, it is characterized by this really, really massive influx of refugees that are coming in from Western Armenia to Eastern Armenia as a result of the genocide. She was in Rostov-on-Don, but she, was in, in, she had a uh, sense of what was going on in Armenia. She had connections with Armenian leaders and Armenian uh, you know, public figures, intellectuals, and so on and so forth. So she had a, a sense of what was happening. What was happening, and also you had also two Armenian refugees who would come into Rostov-on-Don, so Armenian refugees would be escaping into the Russian Empire in general. Not only uh, are we thinking about Armenians, you know, fleeing to Yerevan or Etchmiadzin because many were living in Etchmiadzin. When we talk about uh, Khanjian, actually, he was from a refugee family in. I mean, they were from Van originally, but they were encamped or they settled uh, on the grounds of, you know, Etchmiadzin. So that was another major refuge for Armenians as well, too. But many of them moved into the Russian Empire in general. So a lot of them moved, like, for instance, Nornaki Chivan is already an established Armenian settlement. They go where there are Armenians, where there are people like them, where they can feel, feel comforted. So naturally, that was a place to go. They would go maybe to also to Moscow. You know, so there, there are many different parts of the Russian Empire, or Petersburg, I should say, too, in addition. There are many different uh, parts of the, of the Russian Empire where they would have gone, Armenians. In, in any case, uh, you know, the, the conditions of the Armenian refugees were not very good, particularly in the Armenian Republic itself. When Armenia becomes a republic, and there is no more Russian Empire there, really, because Russia as a state, you know, the years of, let's say, 1917 to 1920, there really is no real authority. It's being fought over between the white army, the red army, right? And especially we now today we have the news of what is happening in Ukraine. Ukraine was the bloodiest front of the civil war in Russia. You had the white army, the red army, the black army, you know, Makhno's army, this kind of thing. And you had, you know, Pol the Polish army, the German army. And so there was a very, very limited ability to provide for these people coming in. And the infrastructure of Armenia, of the First Republic, was very limited to, a, to deal with, with the situation with these uh, refugees kind of coming into, in that case, into the former Armenian territories of the Russian Empire. Anyway, so this is the context. Now, Shushanik, like I said, she's living in Russia. She's in Rostov-on-Don. And actually, it is in this context where Armenia is Sovietized and she is living outside of Armenia. She is in Russia. And this is when, in 1921, Miasnikov, when he comes in, he invites her to uh, help this process of rebuilding. So Miasnikov brings in a whole series of Armenian national figures. So, for instance, uh, you have coming in not only Shushini Kurgenian, you have also Martiro Saryan, you have also Charents. And so this is really a moment of kind of... Um, spiritual and intellectual and also artistic rebuilding of the nation during this period of uh, what uh, Lenin called the new economic policy. You know, this idea of kind of putting the Soviet Union back on its feet, putting Russia back on its feet, really, uh, through a mix of kind of, you know, of socialist and capitalist policies and principles. Let, let's put it that way. This is kind of the situation that, that she was in, but she also had a continuously deteriorating health situation. I don't know the exact, again, nature of her health situation, but 
um, even by this time when there is a Soviet government there, there is uh, access to uh, resources from Moscow. Not only that, there are international organizations still operating on the territory of now Soviet Armenia in the 1920s. You know, you have Near East Relief still. It's, it's there in Armenia. And still, even with all this, nobody can figure out what's, you know, how to resolve the situation. So unfortunately, um, you know, she, she travels even to 1925. She goes to Moscow, but even that, you know, cannot help her. In 1927, she actually passes away. So she was a celebrated figure in the Soviet times like a celebrity poet or poetess, you can say, a major, major influential figure. Although her poetry on women's rights was less uh, paid attention to versus her poetry that dealt, you know, in general with socialist revolution, of course, because the Soviet regime, first and foremost, is concerned about socialist revolution. But that being said, uh, her vision of equality for women, uh, I would contend, was largely realized in the Soviet era. Never before in the Armenian history, until the Soviet times, did women have such equal access to everything as men. I mean, really, this was the first time in the Soviet era, because of these emancipatory uh, principles and ideas of women's rights, really, for the first time in the Armenian history, women really were on equal standing with men. But the problem, I'll tell you, there's an issue, though, with all this. because for And this is the same problem that women had not only in Armenia, but women had in Russia, women had in... In other, uh, in Ukraine and other, you know, parts of the Soviet Union, really, they were left with a, a double burden. So at one point, the woman, you know, yes, she has opportunity to pursue her career, her job, and all that. But then there is still the social expectation that the man, he is the ruler of the house, and the woman, you know, she has to. It's her duty. This is what the idea was that it's her duty to also, you know, you have to take care of the children, you have to do all these other duties as well. So women had kind of the the double burden. At one point they had a job, but then they also had to take care of the family, the children, and everything like that. So. Um, it was, uh, you know, a great deal. Of, I mean, it was much, much more equal than what they had before. Yes, but it does not mean that it was perfect. Certainly. So, but nevertheless, still, um, she, I think, would have overall, in the grand scheme of things, been proud of what emerged um, in Armenia in those subsequent decades. I would love to hear from our listeners if they have any information about the whereabouts of her family or anybody connected to them who could give us more insight into her life and um, her struggles, really. But she was an incredible figure, and I think that's somebody who we should honor. And again, a natural continuation from Miasny Khan. If I'm talking about Miasny Khan last time, it's only natural to kind of talk about her. I'm glad that she is getting more and more recognition in contemporary Armenia. Of course, in the Soviet times, she had a lot of recognition because of her revolutionary writing. But then in the 1990s, it's almost like we have a phrase in English, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? So what do I mean by this? That the idea is that, well, you know, we don't like Soviet Union, we don't like this and that. And, and so when Armenia became independent from the USSR, there was a tendency among many Armenians to kind of discard everything about the Soviet Union. Although, like, I, I think I said this... I can't remember if I said that on this podcast or some other podcasts, there is both good and bad of the Soviet Union. It's not black. It's not so black and white. Like anything else in life, nothing is, is so black and white. So, um, you know, the legacy of Shushani Kurganian was for a time discarded. 
but lately, thankfully, it has been rediscovered. And I think to the benefit of Armenia, I think that we need to look more at, at her work because it's also something we should not just recognize her as a great Armenian woman poet, right? So if her only credential is that she's a woman, then right there, you've lost me because the reality is as a poet, as a writer, she is, so you can't, I mean, she herself would not like you, you to just classify her as just like an Armenian woman poet. She would like to rather be classified as a great Armenian poet in general, irregardless of her gender. She was an advocate for equality for women, but she first and foremost would be like to rec be recognized as a great Armenian poet. So, I mean, unequal, on par with, you know, people like Charens and, and Tumanyan and Isahakian and all these others. So, so that's, I think, how she would like to ideally be remembered, not just as, as a woman, you know, <laughs> like, our, like our, you know, stock woman or something like that. I think that, that she would find that terribly offensive if, if that was, uh, you know, the case. ¶¶